Burdened with a difficult childhood, a small-town boy sought escape through the allure of the silver screen. That boy was my father, and tonight we explore history and pop culture through film and television trivia. Welcome to the Marionette Theatre. Take your seats, the next matinee minutia is about to begin. Good morning. It is Saturday. Recording in progress. February 20th. And uh, we are gathered here together for a special virtual event. Farpoint 2021. And you have showed up just in time for Matinee Minutia. That show about film and television trivia. Please stay tuned and join us and grab your seats. Well, hello there, and uh, welcome to Matinee Minutia, film a uh, show about film and television trivia. And uh, today we have a conversation about a early 70s comedy drama and uh here just behind the curtain is our senior showgirl our refreshments lady gertie say hello to the folks in the audience yeah yeah hi uh they dragged me along to this virtual thing uh i don't normally have anything to do with computers but i will say today's movie i should have been cast in i'm still pissed at ruth gordon and i could barely contain my fury anyways back to you dj okay and here's a little something that uh well i forgot to play Burdened with a difficult childhood, a small-town boy sought escape through the allure of the silver screen. That boy was my father, and tonight we explore history and pop culture through film and television trivia. Welcome to the Marionette Theater. Take your seats. The next matinee minutia is about to begin. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Well, hello there, Mr. Smelly. How are you this fine morning? I'm doing great. Uh, this is um, a first time for both of us really participating in a virtual event, a virtual con like this. And I just have to say, Farpoint has made it super easy for us. Couldn't have been easier. And uh, we're real proud to be part of uh, the Farpoint virtual convention um, this year. So I guess the first time for them, too. And, DJ, we have our own guest. We sure do. And uh, joining us from the other side of the pond... The Shy Life Podcast. Hello, great to be here. And we are here to discuss a 1971 comedy drama. And uh, we'll go ahead and play you a little bit of a trailer to get you an idea of what's going on in this film. Tell me, Harold, what do you do for fun? What activity gives you a different sense of enjoyment from the others? What do you find fulfilling? What gives you that 
special satisfaction. Suicides have you performed? Fifteen. What is your name? Harold. Harold Chase. I'm Dame Marjorie Shardam, but you must call me Maud. I'm going to be great friends. Your mother tells me, Harold, that she's arranging several dates for you with some young ladies. How do you feel about that? Haven't had a dream. Tell me about yourself. What do you do when you aren't visiting funerals? I like to watch things grow, grow and bloom and fade and die and change into something else. Take a chance. I haven't lived. I've died a few times. Live. Okay, so that's the basis of our conversation today. The 1971 comedy drama Harold and Maud, starring Ruth Gordon and Bud Court. Now, before we actually begin the discussion of the film, just a, uh, a little introduction for the benefit of our guests here at the Farpoint Convention. I am DJ Starsage, the host of a personal journal podcast called Surely You Jest, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Toppy Smelly, who does a little show called The Smellcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay, and of course, as I mentioned, Mr. Paul Chandler is of the Shy Life podcast, and... Uh, one of the things that we do uh, is we get people into the mindset of the time frame. But before we do that, if you'd be so good, Toppy, could you let us know who's joined us here today? Just take a look over the <coughs> balcony into the chat room and give us some names. All right. Well, I'm going to. Uh, the only thing I can do is tell you who said something in the chat room. I have not found the window that tells me everyone in the chat room. Oh, a little bit of coaching. If you are in the chat part, you just go to attendees. There's panelists and attendees. All right. Uh, uh, oh, well, okay. All right. Well, I guess this is our attendees then. I guess I do see everyone. Uh, we've got, um, we've got uh, Billy Starsage. You may know him, DJ. Oh, um, and we've got uh, our pal uh, Paul, uh, and uh, well, usually we call him Tommy, but he's Paul today. But anyways, that's Paul, our pal. And um, aside from our uh, our helper, 
oh, Toots is here. So that means, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't see everybody who's in there. Oh, Aunt Tudor is here, a regular of our our audience. Yeah. So, anybody else in the chat room, please uh, uh, announce yourself being present, or I won't see you. At any rate, thank you, Aunt Toots. Uh, i.e. Aunt Tudor. And there's Paul, if you can see him, the uh, legendary Deals the Cat is joining him. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, our guest, Paul, uh, he's the Shy Yeti from uh, the the Shy Life podcast. Hello. Andy says hello as well. Welcome, and uh, thanks for bringing company. Everybody loves a kitty cat. <laughs> uh, he he invited himself. He wanted to. He heard that we were going to be on the on on the screen, so he had to join us. I, I think that Zoom is a a cat language word that means get in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It does seem to be a a worldwide phenomenon. That's that's in Zoom meetings. So there in the UK, we have Mr. Paul. And if you'd be so good, uh, Paul, could you tell the world or our listening audience what was going on in 1971? Yes. Uh, setting the stage, U.S. history in the year 1971, uh, Uniform Monday Holiday Act, federal holidays observed on Mondays, uh, ban on cigarette ads on Television and radio takes uh, takes effect. Uh, Satchel Page becomes the first Black League player to get voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Congress discontinues funding for supersonic transport, uh, the Concorde. Uh, the first Starbucks opens in Seattle. Um, the U.S. ends its trade embargo of China. The 26th Amendment lowers the voting age from 21 to 18. The U.S. drops the gold standard, U.S. Treasury deposit of gold. Uh, the U.S. Postal Service is spun off its own corporation. Walt Disney World opens in Orlando, and Intel released the first commercially available microprocessor. I think Dealey just weighed in on that and said that he wants yeah. a trip to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Right. So that's, that's what was going on uh, in the U.S. in 1971, the year... Harold and Maud came out. Okay. Uh, normally, we usually hear at Matinee Minutia talk about celebrity births, but we're going to forego that uh, because we want to get right into the movie and make sure we've got time uh, to discuss today's movie. So just to begin, um, Paul uh, and DJ, I'm wondering if uh, this viewing you did for Matinee Minutia was your first time with Harold and Maude, or have you seen it before? Paul, go ahead. I, um, I have seen it before, but it's been a while, so um, I definitely enjoy, enjoyed returning. I knew I liked it, I own it, but I just hadn't watched it more than once. But uh, watching it again earlier today, um, I sort of regret not having seen it more often because I absolutely loved it. So. Great. DJ? Well, um, I hadn't caught it when it was newer because, uh, you know, it, it probably would have first been available for viewing outside the theater on home video. I don't recall this being something that my family rented back in the day when we had those top-loading machines, you know. But uh, this is actually a film that 
I was introduced to by my husband. So uh, my recent viewing was one of only my first handful. There will be many more to come, but it was certainly ex an experience being introduced to this by my um, you know future life partner at the time. Nice. Uh, for myself, I was 10. Uh, was I 10? No, 8. I'm 10. I was 10 when this movie came out. So I was uh, really only seeing Disney movies at the time because that's about all I was allowed to see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Towering Inferno was the, th the first non-Disney movie I ever saw. Anyways, uh, so I did see this when I was in college because um, colleges like to have films and often they'll show art house movies, which is kind of the venue that this movie moved into. Um, uh, later on, because as is traditional, just coincidentally here at Matt Minutia, we always seem to find box office duds. <laughs> and I'm afraid that uh, Harold Maude did not uh, did not exactly um, do extremely well. Um, but it gained momentum over the years, especially when it hit video. And now I think we can safely say. Critics and viewers alike consider Harold and Maude a, a classic today. Maybe we could even say a cult classic. But I saw it in college in 1980 for the first time on the big screen. It bowled me over. I'd, I'd use the word life-changing if that didn't sound kind of ridiculous, but it really was. Uh, it was, I was really just knocked over by it. Number one, because of the content, of course, but also the um, style of filming was so unusual uh, for me. Um, and it had that, uh, I don't know, um, film verite kind of style that was became popular in the early 70s with the new Hollywood, uh, not, not the old Hollywood studio system, but all of these young people who came into film and were doing things all together differently. And uh, that, so that kind of filmmaking was a revelation too, but mostly the content. So um, why don't we get into it and just talk about um, how, how you felt about it. Um, and then we'll talk about some of the trivia behind it uh, after we, uh, after we gnash this all out. Okay. Well, um, you know, I would say that uh, this was a very comfortable film for me to settle into only because being the youngest in my family, you know, um, my early friend making skills involved relating to those older than me. So I knew, or I, I could identify with the Harold character, being somebody that was awkward and uncomfortable in social situations. But as a child, um, one of my closest friends happened to be the sweet older lady who lived across the street. So, um, you know, while it wasn't quite the intimate experience <laughs> that evolved in Harold and Maude, I could certainly understand the appeal that meeting this person who was played by Ruth Gordon, Maude, who had experienced so much more of the world, would be so attractive to somebody like uh, 
Harold, who had been isolated for much of his life. And for those of you on uh, video, this is, uh, of course, available through Farpoint's YouTube channel. Uh, our guest, Paul, has just held up a copy of Ruth Gordon's... Is it her autobiography or her biography? Yeah, is it the wrong way around again? I'm, I'm, am I... Are the wrong... Oh, it's actually ah, written by her. Yes. Yeah, it's quite... Old. I think this is probably out of print. Or it could, um, this is a second-hand copy that... Uh, I picked up quite recently, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was written, um, yeah, I think in the um, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, Miss uh, Miss Gordon uh, sadly passed away in the late 80s, but uh, that is certainly something that's on my to-do now, is to find myself a copy of that book. (laughs) Yeah, it's a nice hardback copy. I haven't started it yet, but uh, um, but yeah, I'm sure it's great. Um, Aunt Toots said um, also, <clears throat> uh, I, I, we should establish right away like how integral the music was to this movie, which Hal Ashby liked to do, but he really pulled it off with Harold and Maude. The music isn't just incidental or background music. It is integral to the movie. It's integral to the movie's experience. So Cat Stevens... The songs from, I think, one album, am I correct? Cat, uh, I don't even know which one, but I think, it, I think it was compiled into one album. You can find all of this music. Of course, I think they released a soundtrack mm-hmm. to Harold and Maude as well. But, but the music is incredible. And um, I introduced, this movie introduced me to Cat Stevens as well. And I, I've, I've never, uh, I've always liked this music ever since. Also, welcome to the chat room, uh, the ever mysterious Crone Haven. Thank you for joining us. Yes, Crone uh, is a, uh, a friend of the show and is uh, a, uh, a woman of certain mystery that we often run into uh, when we're <laughs> privileged enough to attend the uh, real-time Farpoint event. Yeah, um, uh, Crone even usually shows up live and in person, and right there at Farpoint. Um, so I'm yeah. really glad she's here. Uh, but back to the movie, um, uh, impressions. So certainly, I think it's uh, Mr. Paul's turn there, sir. Uh, so, what's your take on this film? What enticed you about it, and what are your favorite parts? Well, I, I, I just made me laugh so maybe when we laugh so much in moments and cry, it was, sort of, it was either one or the other. There was no halfway, um, there was no way halfway marks with it. Um, it, it uh, uh, the, I, I, I do wonder maybe maybe the black comedy side of it is is more me than it was the first time because I was laughing like a, a bucket all the all the, all the times all of the. Like when he when he gets introduced to the three different girls, and, and uh, the, f- the first one he, he makes it look like he's setting himself on fire, and then he and then she sees, and then he and then he like walks in the room, and then the other one where he he just starts chopping it away at his arm, and 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 then the third one is is almost as, as eccentric as he is, and, and gets into the spirit of the whole thing. Um, um, uh, when, just to just to add to that, Paul. What a brilliant way to to start the movie. 
Because oh, the movie yeah. starts out with one of his yeah. uh, suicide scenes. Yeah. And it starts out, you don't really know what's happening. Uh, you mm-hmm. see someone, you're not sure who it is. It doesn't focus in on the face right away at all. But there's some sort of form of like, maybe he's lighting candles for a dinner table. Uh, and then uh, right when the, the music's coming at end, the credits are coming to an end, <laughs> the chair falls over and he's hanging. Yeah. <laughs> what the F. What, a, then, what an incredible beginning. Yeah. But then on top of that, then then a lady, you don't know it's his mother, immediately just walks in and is like, uh, and you think she's like, she's very calm and you think, oh, she's going to ring the police, but then she rings somebody else and, and I, she knows it because she knows him of old. She knows it's I think, you know, I think she says, I think she says, oh, Harold. Anyways, <laughs> then you really wonder what, what's going on. But you see, you immediately realise that Harold isn't dead or really hanging. Yeah, it's, yeah. He's, he, 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 he starts making choking noises like, <laughs> anyways, but he's, he's put he's, he's blacked his tongue as well. which is kind oh, of, yeah. like he's full, And he's also, he's, he's put very white makeup on. So, it's, so he's done all of the stage work for her. Right. Well. He's certainly not an amateur at this. So of course you, right from that first scene, you know that he's done this before. And, uh, you know, as Toppy was saying, you would think that someone like his mother would just be bereft to walk upon a scene like this. But her call isn't to the authorities. She's calling a friend to cancel an appointment. Yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but my my favorite suicide um, act scene spoof. um, What do you want to call it? He was act, I guess. But Paul already mentioned it, but it's because it was so sudden is is when Harold is just sitting there meeting one of these girls and he just suddenly picks up that thing and goes, Chap! and then goes back to being very composed. <laughs> is it what, 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 I think it might be the first, the first one after the fire and she runs out, out of the room and and he looks after her. She leaves, but he's almost making eye contact with the, us, the viewers. And I'm not sure if he is or he isn't, but he's ve- it, he is looking very. It looks like he is. Um, there are moments where he does seem to be kind of almost winking to the camera. It's not. It's not cutesy. It's no. because Bud Court, the actor, has this really sly expression on his face that yeah. kind of says. I just pulled over another sweet one. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite attempt is when he's sitting there with the, the handgun and his mother is filling out his computer dating profile. And you, you know, that's one of those moments where you learn that clearly this is, you know, not his first uh, rodeo, so to speak, and his mother's just sitting there calmly while he's, you know, gesturing. And of course, um, this carries over into a, a '70s sitcom that some of us are fans of, All in the Family. I'm forgetting the the original UK title. We've discussed it before, Paul and I. But um, Carol O'Connor in All in the Family, Archie. He will be stuck in um, moments with his wife who's just prattling on, and he pretends to make suicide attempts, much like Bud Court as uh, Harold. (laughs) Um, The most wonderful thing about that scene, DJ, is 
she's basically taking the um, computer dating test questionnaire yes. herself, and and she's totally ignoring uh, Harold, who's just shot himself supposedly in the head and fallen over in his chair, and she just keeps going, "Oh, do you like uh, walks on the beach?" Oh, yes, I think you most assuredly do. So we know right away he has a very controlling mother. She's running his life. He's sort of just hanging in there, doing the best he can, like shoving uh, um, beets down his throat at dinner time. Because his mother told him he had to eat the beets. And these little maneuvers of suicide are, are kind of really a cry for help. Um, but they're com- very, very funny. Although the one in the bathtub with the blood all over was a little <laughs> shocking. Um, at any rate, so he's we we kind of know he's obsessed with death. Uh, Aunt Tudor in the chat room, um, Richard uh, reminds us that he loves the the fact that he got he replaced the gift his mother gave him, which was this great sports car, traded it in, and instead got a hearse. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's obsessed with death and he thinks about death a lot and in fact his favorite uh, hobby is going to funerals uh, i was just suddenly thought that that's the scene with the the car when he um that you don't see what he does to his brand new car probably because they didn't want to demolish a brand new car but, <laughs> but you see him with a blowtorch and you just see him looking at the camera with the blowtorch so it's inferred that he did something nasty to the nice car but you don't didn't have to actually hurt him. No, no, no nice cars were, were harmed in the making of this film. And didn't he uh, basically just sort of splice the sports car and the hearse into one? Is that what he did? Yes, it looked straight out of the <coughs> monsters. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, <clears throat> so he's obsessed with death and funerals, and he meets Maud at a funeral. But she's at the funeral, not because she's obsessed with death. It's because she's obsessed with life. And when she goes to funerals, it's not at all like Harold, who's thinking about the death and the end of life and how somber and, oh, the crying. And uh, Ruth Gordon, uh, Maud, is there with her yellow umbrella going, and she's considering it like, no, this is about life, and life is about death, but it's death and dying. And, and so they have a completely opposite uh, viewpoint of what funerals mean to them. But it brings them together, and more and more, Harold sees Maud and notices her, and she finally makes the move to get to know Harold, or at least talk to him. And their relationship grows from there. Yes, and um, you know, so um, Maud, who introduces herself, is Dame Marjorie Shadem, but you can call her Maud, and of course that's played by Ruth Gordon, and uh, as Paul had uh, shown us, he has a copy of her autobiography. Now, Paul, if you uh, will indulge us for a moment, are you a fan of Ruth Gordon aside from Harold and Maud? Have you seen any of her other films? Well, yeah. Originally, uh, it's, it, my, my fandom comes from Rosemary's Baby, which is one of my fa- very favourite films, anyway. Um, so I, th- I think uh, I, I, I probably that probably made me go to, to my first viewing of Howard and Moore. Probably came from knowing that she was in it, or 
<clears throat> or possibly just because it's such a sort of well-known film that you feel you ought to ought to see. But uh, um, yeah, I've, tra- I've, I've traced down um, a, a couple of other ones, but I, I, I won't mention the name of, of the other one because it's, I know it's my recommended associated film to mention in a bit. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Toppy? Um, have you explored other of Ruth Gordon's films? Um, uh, I, I've never gone out in, in search of them, but I've, I would say I've run across them. And um, Rosemary Baby was, oops, did I just put, no. Rosemary's Baby was one. And uh, there's a great television movie she did with Alan Alda and Louise Lasser. Very obscure, but it's called Shocking, isn't it? And it's a murder mystery in a small town. And Alan Alda plays the sheriff. And Ruth Gordon plays one of the residents. And, well, let's just say she was, after Harold and Maude, people wanted her in their movies to be, if they needed an old crazy old lady, she was it. <laughs> now, it should be noted that Ruth Gordon, prior to her more um, recent films and the, the end of her career, well, in the, in the uh, high point of her career, she got her start in uh, silent films, as sort of extras types characters, and later on she uh, he reappeared in films in uh, in the fifties and into the sixties. But uh, you know, um, in terms of other films that I've seen with Ruth Gordon, um, I want to say that uh, Harold and Maude actually might have been a later discovery for me. Uh, a couple of the first films that I saw with her in was after that period that Toppy just mentioned, where it was uh, it was discovered that uh, older women could be quite funny when they're forced to swear on camera. And uh, <laughs> Ruth Gordon starred in a couple of films that were, uh, well, more than a handful of years apart. I don't think they were as a sequel in mind when they made the first, but called Any Which Way You Can with Clint Eastwood. And um, she is the main character's aging mother. And yeah. uh, she is uh, made to get along with some primates that uh, right. make their way in the film. That, that's an example of, well, I want an old lady to swear. And that's the joke. <laughs> and so Harold in Harold and Maude, as Maude, it's a much more nuanced performance. It's a bravura performance. But it's nothing like she's not good in Harold Mudd because she says shit or damn. In fact, I don't think she ever does. Uh, I don't think there's a swear word in it. But um, her energy is there, and uh, the, and the writing is so good that that uh, she shines. And it's like she was born to play it, much as Bud Court seems to have been born to play Harold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just interesting because, uh, of course, the character of Maud, as I mentioned, introduced herself with a formal title, which hints to a, a you know an earlier life, perhaps for her, which we may get into in a bit here, because it's it's part of the the trivia and the minutia that we uh, sort of um, well we specialize here in matinee minutia. But, uh, you know, uh, aside from uh, Ruth Gordon's uh, film career, uh, you know, as we were saying, this is uh, experience in pop culture. 
So uh, this brings me to our next question. Uh, Paul, what do you feel was the message of Harold and Maude? Uh, maybe the moral. What did you take away from seeing this? Well, sort of um, not wishing your life away, really. And um, also uh, probably not, um, not, not, not uh, being too bound with authority. <laughs> and, uh, and, and also... Also, conventionalism, sort of not not necessarily living a conventional life. Uh, uh, it's your eccentricities that is the thing that is uh, yes, deals and your eccentricities. <laughs> um, it, it yes, it's your eccentricities that make you unique. Um, not not the fact that you can do them like you know, um, sort of work nine to five. It's uh, to do it. Do anything that's that's weird and different, and uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what makes you you. Um, I agree with all that. It, it, it's a bit. It's a bit. Of, it's a lot of seize the day. Mm. Um, life is wonderful and too short, and you got to live it, whatever that means to you. So individualism. Don't be afraid to be you, even if it looks silly to other people. So you want to somersault down a hill of flowers? Well, do it. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Um, you should learn a musical instrument. Everybody should learn to play a musical instrument. She gives Harold a banjo, which over the course of the film, he slowly learns how to play. And she's all about experiences and um, and not really, although she lives in this train filled with memorabilia, uh, you come to learn that, yes, it's there, it's a reminder for her, but it's not important. It's in her mind. So at one point, Harold gives her a momentum of his mm. love, and it's this little coin that he stamps something on at a fair, and he gives it to Maude, and she's very touched. And she goes, ah, and throws it right in the water. And, <laughs> and, and Harold says, why did you? She says, because I'll always know where it is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the message. Uh, basically, Ruth Gordon gets Harold out of the shell. And this sheltered life, his social awkwardness, teaches him there's no reason to be awkward. Do your thing. Let your freak flag fly. Life is wonderful. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with the both of you. And I would uh, categorize this film, you know, separately from the, the comedy and the drama that we typify it with. But I would say that this is a, a very bohemian spirit film, which is kind of apropos because... Um, you know, a little background on Ruth Gordon's character. She's a person of Jewish descent, and she has a past when she introduces herself by title, which leads you to believe she's gone through life-changing events. She's seen something of the world. She, in fact, at one point even kind of as an aside mentions that she's been to Tibet when she's introducing Harold to, to her, you know, her, uh, her housekeeping, her home. And um, so it's 
the message quite clearly is don't take life for granted. You know, experience everything you have the opportunity to. And I think that that um, journey begins where she sits him down to tea and he has ginger pie and oat straw tea. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> we find out she's a Holocaust survivor. Yes. Um, they don't make it overt, but Harold looks down at her wrist and sees the tattoo, uh, the numbers on her arm, and all of us, including Harold, we immediately know what that means. Other than that, it's not mentioned or anything. You could blink and miss it. If, 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 if you, I mean, and I wonder, I can't remember if I remembered that from my first being, or whether, you know, you could literally have looked away for a second or, and, 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 and missed because I was kind of like, wow, <laughs> when I saw that, I didn't remember that at all. <clears throat> so the most overt, let your fleek flag fry, live your, live your own life expression of this movie is that after uh, being spending much time together, Harold and Maude wind up in bed together for a night. And of course, that's very shocking or it's meant to be very shocking. And we hear uh, people <clears throat> who are looking at the camera talking to Harold in a succession of scenes from a minister to a psychiatrist to uh, this military guy, all telling him how absolutely revolted they are at the thought of Harold's firm young body being with this wrinkled flabby it makes me want to vomit the priest says <laughs> um and yeah, the, the, uh, the priest also seems quite excited um by when he describes harold as well i noticed <laughs> yes yes <clears throat> um so that's the that's the most uh that's as shocking as it goes now tastefully uh, the director chose not to go too far with that um, we see Maud in bed with Harold, and they're both under the covers, and she's sleeping at the time, and he's dreamily blowing bubbles, uh, soap bubbles, um, kind of uh, like the after-sex cigarette, except it's soap bubbles. And so it's quite uh, tastefully done, and but it's... Uh, it's a remarkable point in the movie. And, and then to just uh, finish off the description of this movie, the immediate ta movie takes a terrible turn when Maud tells Harold something that she's been hinting at, although it, again, the director didn't bring this directly out, but she's hinted several times in the movie that at the age of 80, she intends to end her life. And Maud's 80th birthday comes up soon after they get together. And she tells Harold, I just took a bottle of sleeping pills. And the movie completely, it's just so shocking. Uh, and the movie changes very, it's, it becomes this collage of images of, of Harold in the hospital and doing insurance forms and everybody wants to know what's going on and they don't understand the relationship she has with him. And it's all very dark and 
she she passes away. You know, I feel having watched this recently that uh, you know the audience is right there with the the Harold character because it took me a couple of viewings before I picked up on some of those more subtler nuances. In fact, it's fairly early on in the film that um, Maud actually hints that she's on borrowed time because they're at a funeral. It's the second time they've met. And she coincidentally mentions the age of the deceased. And she says that that's the perfect age. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, just to finish up, uh, this movie is very old. I'm not too bothered by, by the spoilers <laughs> here because at any rate, we see in the montage Harold driving his 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 hearst very fast up a, a hill. We see it coming to a cliff. We see it go over the cliff in one sudden plop. It's just no explosions. It just goes plop. The music ends. And you think, well, God damn it, he committed suicide. But he doesn't. <laughs> so the last scene we see is the camera panning up back to the clifftop. And there's Harold with his, uh, with his uh, banjo. And he starts playing and he turns around and he walks off into the distance. And it's an abrupt ending. It's, it's like, whoa. And you're sure that, God damn it, I didn't watch all of this to have a shitty rotten ending. <laughs> and uh, oops, I shouldn't have said shitty. Anyways, so, and then we see Harold and he's okay. And we're led to believe that after meeting Maude, he's learned enough to go ahead with his life and, pro and be a success at whatever he's going to do. I, I, I would say that that last five minutes, that's... That all the things we, you were describing about doing the forms and the, and the cutting between things, uh, that none of that is any dialogue, is that it's all you, you see, you have to imagine what this, but you can tell what's going on, but it's not, it's, it's music over all of that. Yeah, uh, and I, I love the way that montage starts because it's a very quiet scene when Maude says, I just took a bottle of sleeping pills. In fact, I, th I think I'll be gone within the hour. And Bud Cord is just standing there with his mouth open and there's a pause. And then he just totally breaks character and he just gets angry and says, what? Shout, what? Like, what the? And, and then it goes into this montage. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. So uh, that brings us to our uh, next question. And uh, it's this, do you, Paul, do you feel that this film, Harold and Maude, in 2021, is it still relevant to today's audience? Do you, do you feel the message still holds up? Yeah, I mean, it's a universal message, isn't it? So, I mean, it's always relevant, and um, and, and especially in times that can be quite dark uh, at the moment. Um, it, it, it uh, yeah, it, it shows, yeah, that, that there's, you should always you can always find positive things. You should uh, always be more Maud than than Harold. <laughs> I want a T-shirt for that. <laughs> more Meryl, more more Maud, less Harold. Yeah, that that would be a very clever T-shirt. I like that. Yeah. 
And Toppy, what's your take on this? Do you think that this movie is still relevant? Would you would you introduce a new friend to this? Oh hell, um, no question. Uh, I think uh, the movie, in its style of filmmaking, is a little dated. Uh, Hal Ashby loved that um, long focus lens and things coming towards the camera. <clears throat> it's it's over and over in that movie, and it's it looks, it's it's very typical of what new young non-Hollywood directors were doing in film at that time. So that looks a little dated. The content of the movie, uh, I think, holds up. The performances hold up. They're brilliant performances. Uh, I I think the script holds up. Um, And it's Jeepers. Is suicide still relevant? (laughs) Sure is. Yeah. You know, and I feel that um, in more recent years, of course, the uh, topic of uh, assisted suicide, which is not always used as the term, but uh, many states have legalized, um, you know, a senior's choice on if they want to continue living or not. So that certainly is recent in conversations of the world. So I think that Harold and Maude is very much still something that's relevant. And you know what? It's fun to watch some of these films, even if you're not one who likes to see something quote-unquote older. I don't like to throw that word around because this is not a black and white. This is not a silent film. But, um, you know, from the 70s, you could see those fashions are coming back and everything old is new again. I'll say something about the fashions. You love this era of fashions. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know particularly... Uh... Uh, Howard's trousers when he's uh, when he's walking along with his uncle. Um, actually, I, I, yes, yes, you like that as well, didn't you, Dales? Uh, well, Maud, Maud's fashion was very nice as well. But uh, um, come on, um, and, and uh, I was just thinking about it's not really fashion, but Howard's uncle, who's in the army, has lost. He's lost an arm, but he's but he's he's remaining. Uh, he's his look. Uh, the arm of the suit of his uniform, uh, he, 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 he has it. So it's, it salutes. Uh, I've, I've forgotten all about that. And, 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 uh, yeah, he pulls um, he pulls the string, and his arm goes. Well, the sleeve of his shirt goes up. Um, yeah, yeah, there's this one particular woman uh, that the mother brings in to date Harold. Oh yes, and okay. she has this dress with this belt on. <laughs> That just cracked me the hell up. It was just so 70s. Uh, Oh, my God. It's really funny. I think this was the date where he set himself on fire. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. All the girls were were very much 1971. I think Um, my my favorite date, of course, is the last one, Sunshine. Yeah, yeah. Because she plays along with him. She, She sees the theatrics of him pretending to kill himself and she derives it as an act from um shakespeare of course um romeo and juliet she takes the knife and she plays along <laughs> uh yeah um i just want to mention uh before we go we are uh, getting ready to end uh, i want to say 
a word or two really quickly about Vivian Pickles, who plays the mother. She's wonderful. Mm-hmm. She's mainly done everything in the UK. Harold and Maude was her only US movie, with the exception of Candle Shoe, a Disney movie, a favorite of DJs. Yes. Uh, Candle Shoe in 1977 with Helen Hayes, David Niven, Jodie Foster. But everything else, she was completely UK. Uh, Paul, briefly, do you remember running across her in, in BBC TV? Uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about her. I didn't know she had that connection. I'll have to explore. Yeah, her her all of her stuff was uh, mostly uh, U, uh, BBC television. She also had a career on stage. She just appeared in the cult TV series The Avengers. Oh wow! Um, but uh, Hal Ashby caught uh, her on stage, or uh, actually, it was in a, a TV movie, a BBC movie she made um, that she got really good reviews for, and it was by Ken Russell. It was called. Isadora Duncan, the biggest dancer in the world. Mm. And Halashby saw it and remembered her vividly. And when it came time to cast Harold Maud, he remembered her and, and said, that's it. That's, that's, that's the mother. Vivian Pickles is her name. I, I, only, I only had to hear her accent for me to just iconically remember her from her scenes in Candleshoe. Um, she plays a maid who's been fired because, uh, well, she was stealing. But, uh. Okay. <laughs> and last word about the director who is uh, hugely important in this movie. Uh, he was uh, an old hippie. Uh, he was 40 when he did this movie but was quite entrenched in the uh, hippie movement, uh, in the bohemian lifestyle. He he was an editor uh, for his entire career. Up until then, he won an Oscar for uh, best editing. Um, I believe that was for In the Heat of the Night, uh, which he edited. Uh, he stumbled into directing when... Uh, someone who wanted to do um, a movie called The Landlord just couldn't do it. And he thought, oh, maybe I'll get this Ashby guy. And Ashby agreed to do it. He, uh, and then he liked it. Um, his next movie was Harold and Maude. Uh, his most uh, uh, well-received, most popular, like people know him for, uh, for is Coming Home from 78, it was uh, John Voight, Jane Fonda, both won Best Actor Oscars for that role. He was nominated for Best Director. He didn't receive it because uh, Hollywood was pretty pissed at Hal Ashby's drug use, and he was a nuisance to almost everyone, and they didn't like him. Uh, anyways, for me, right up there with Harold Maude is Being There, 1979, with Peter Sellers, my God, I love that movie, Being There. My God, if you haven't seen Being There, you've got to see Being There with Shirley MacLaine. And, um, oh, my God, it's so good. Uh, anyways, sadly, Ashby's drug use really did lock him out of movies because people didn't want to take a risk on him. He got fired from a couple of big projects. <clears throat> that was it for him. And uh, with with uh, 1979 being his last big movie, being there. And he kind of had a small comeback before his death in 1988. But it was like a couple things on TV. He did a couple concert movies. And it's a shame because 
being there and coming home were very mature productions. And who knows what he could have done after that? It's a shame. It's really a shame. I, I don't know if um, I don't know if it's something that can be confirmed, but I thought I spotted a very brief cameo from him in Howard and Maud. Because I've been that's look- true. Yeah, I've been looking at his Wikipedia page and I saw a photo of him. And then a few minutes later, there's a scene when they're in the is it a fairground and there's a, like a, a man helping them, uh, and that's that, him. I think. Um, I think that's I, right. Someone else in the in the chat room also said, I believe Cat Stevens makes um, a cameo as well. Yeah, the musician who performed part of the soundtrack. Mm. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if we haven't mentioned how integral the music is, did we mention that? Oh, it's, yes. It's not just background. We are running out of time shortly. Um, so we'll move on quickly to our related recommendations. This is something we call our snack tray. And I just want to give a quick honorable mention. Uh, there is a film from 2007 that stars an up-and-coming, sadly uh, lost before uh, his twilight, Mr. Anton Yelchin, who played the, the young... Chekhov in the more recent Star Trek films called Charlie Bartlett and the story is a rich kid becomes the self-appointed psychiatrist to the student body of his new school so check out Charlie Bartlett if you enjoyed Harold and Maude awesome Paul would this you you saw Harold and Maude and it made you think like if you liked that movie you'd like this what did you come up with well, uh, quite recently, I discovered Whatever Happened to Aunt Alice, uh, which uh, Ruth Gordon's also in. That's a sort of a thriller. That's from 1969, so kind of in between Rosemary's Baby and um, and Hell. Yeah, Hell. Whatever Happened to Aunt Alice was kind of uh, one of many movies that was sort of inspired by uh, the Betty Davis movie. What was that? Name uh, of Baby it. Jane. Baby yes. Jane. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Mm-hmm. Mine was, and I had a really hard time finding something to recommend because I, I seriously Harold and Maude is it, if it's not the number one movie in my life, it's number two. <laughs> and I couldn't think of like anything that, that had such a profound effect on me, but I did finally come up with something. It's called the, my bodyguard 1980 directed by Tony bill. It was his directorial debut And I picked it because it brings two characters together who are really having problems in life. They're two very different characters. Brings them together. They learn from each other. And at the end of the movie, you can see that they're somewhat healed and they go forward from there. uh, Better people for having met each other, which is the story of Harold and Maude. So uh, My Bodyguard, 1980, I think people would enjoy that. Just really quickly, I want to acknowledge some of the things said in the chat room. Um, your husband, Billy, said uh, after filming, uh, Bud Court's real father died of MS. Ruth Gordon called Bud Court to console him. In real life, in some way, they became the characters. Uh, they just acted out, and they became great friends. Um, uh, Neil uh, says being there is amazing. Um, Billy, once again, says there's a Star Trek connection to Harold and Maude. Get this. Vivian Pickles supplied much of her wardrobe for Harold and Maude. The rest she shopped with Bill Thice, mm-hmm. who was the customer for the original series. How about that? 
Mm. I, I also read that there was a possible consideration of doing a prequel um, with Maud and a, a sequel with what happened with Harold, but uh, was being considered about 78 or something, but obviously never, nothing came of it. Yeah, by that time, that's right around when Ashby ruined his own career. Uh, yeah. I'd never heard that. That's interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. Now, before it's too late, uh, we're going to do a, a teaser at what's to come on our next episode. But if you would be so kind, Paul, let our listeners and uh, participants in the chat room here at Farpoint know where else they can find you on this wide web. Uh, well, my podcast is the Shadow Podcast that's available on Spotify and, and uh, uh, Apple Podcasts. And um, I have a Twitter page, uh, which is uh, uh, Chayeti. And uh, yeah, uh, those are the main places. Excellent. Well, thank you for dropping by. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> thank, thank you for inviting me. And David. <laughs> hey, so uh, Toppy, if you'll grab that bag of coins, we'll let our folks know what's coming up here on next show, fe- uh, Friday, February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, magic coins, here we come. All righty, hand that capsule to me, sir. There you go. Next time on Matinee Minutia, Friday, March 5th. A listener request, a musical romance, modern retelling of the often retold story based upon an early 20th century French novel detailing frightening events at a Paris opera house by the director who brought us St. Elmo's Fire and the Val Kilmer Batman films. Next time, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera with Gerard Butler and introducing Emmy Rossum. Toppy. Who did we have in the chat room as you look over the balcony tonight? We'd like to thank uh, Aunt Tudor. We'd like to thank Billy Starsage. We'd like to thank Cronehaven and our pal Tommy Hashbrowns. Everybody, thank you so much, guys, uh, for being here and supporting us as we do this live. It wouldn't be the same without y'all. And what did that famous... Couple say on the radio when they say goodnight. Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show? Or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Oliver. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.